0: If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Now last week we left off there reading verse 13, where the Apostle writes, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. The Apostle writes in verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. I love all the places we read the Holy Spirit setting forth, how it is that God's people don't merely believe, but ever so blessedly, we know these things to be so. How that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul says here, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ, what Paul is saying is how that he's taught of God. Not only that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, but further that he's taught of God that there is nothing unclean in of itself. You see, sin is not in a, a cigar box. It's not in a, a bottle of beer. Now, that, that, though that idea is common, Among religious people, they have this idea that if you hold uh, this bottle or open that box, sin is in a box or a bottle. My friend, sin is in the nature and principle of the heart. And so you see, we all have a sinful nature. However, there is nothing unclean in of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, well, to him it is. For he's not been fully persuaded of the Lord as yet that everything is to be received with thanksgiving unto the Lord. Now, the whole chapter here, uh, Romans chapter 14, instructs all believers to live in harmony and peace with one another. And we can do this, beloved, by loving one another. Remember, our Lord said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another that you forgive one another. So how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Once? Twice? Three times? Three times and you're out? Is that what our Lord has taught us? Well, no. Seventy times seven. That is, as often as your brother would sin against you, forgive him even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. To do so would promote harmony, would it not? That would promote peace amongst believing sinners, would it not? And so, beloved, as we read there in verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. And so when you find yourself doing it, and I realize we're all prone to that Pharisee attitude, you know, Lord, I thank you, I'm not like that guy over there. Well, that's just self-righteousness. That's all it is. And so instead of judging and condemning one another, how about loving and forgiving one another? Wouldn't that be much better? We read in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 13, Good understanding giveth favor. But the way of transgressors is hard. And so instead of judging and condemning one another by putting a stumbling block in a brother's way over matters that have nothing to do with the gospel, that have nothing to do with the spiritual kingdom of God and salvation in Christ, and so, beloved, let's not be a stumbling block. Let us build up ourselves in the faith in Christ. Again, verse 14 The Apostle writes, I know and am persuaded. I know and am persuaded. I love those two words. For I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we heard this read to us just a moment ago, another blessed place where we hear that word know and persuaded. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And again, Paul says that he's been persuaded and taught by the Lord that sin is not in a substance, in a box, or a bottle, meat, drink, or days. You see, our spiritual condition, beloved, our standing before the thrice-holy God, or our salvation in Christ, is not based upon what we put in our mouth or what we abstain from. You see, salvation in Christ is not based upon what we put in our mouth. It's it's not based upon touch not, taste not, handle not. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew's Gospel chapter 15. You know, the Pharisees got very upset when they observed the disciples of the Lord eating without washing their hands. Now, there's nothing wrong with not washing your hands before you eat. Uh, or, for that matter, there's nothing wrong with washing your hands before you eat. But to eat with uncleans, unclean hands, beloved, is not going to condemn your soul. And our Lord tells us here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Matthew 15, verse 9. Our Lord declares, In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth that defiles you, but that which comes out of the mouth. You see, beloved, it's a heart problem, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. This defileth a man. Verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard these this, this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone they be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us the parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Are you also without understanding, Peter? Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is digested and then is flushed down the toilet. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. That's the problem. Man has a wicked nature. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands defiles not a man. And the Pharisees were offended. Why? Because they loved the traditions and sayings of men. They did not love the Lord. Let them alone, beloved. Let them alone. Now perhaps the disciples thought the Lord should follow up with the Pharisees and sort it out. They said, Lord, knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? And what does our Lord say? Let them alone. And so to eat with unwashed hands, beloved, that's not going to defile and condemn you, now is it? Not in the least, not at all. All right, Romans 14, verse 14. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. To the weak believer who had not been fully persuaded to have liberty and freedom in those things, to freely partake of what the Lord had made, especially those early Jews who had been converted to the Lord Jesus Christ, but who had been raised under the dietary law for certain meats and drink. For, that, for, for them, they, they were considered unclean. I mean, a, a Jew would not dare eat a pork sandwich because that was considered an unclean animal. And there were a lot of animals that were considered unclean. And for him to partake of those things, well, that would wound his weak conscience and make him feel guilty. Now, Paul is speaking here of a believer someone who's looking to the Lord. But he's not fully left off those old grave clothes of his religious tradition. And so for him to violate his own conscience, well, that would be wrong for him. Now, we see a good example of this in uh, Acts chapter 10. Uh, If you'll turn there with me, Acts chapter 10. Now, the, the Lord called Peter to preach to the Gentile, Uh, named uh, Cornelius, and you can read about that in the 10th chapter here. But if you would look at verse 9, Acts chapter 10, verse 9, God's word sets forth in Acts chapter 10, verse 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh under the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, 12 o'clock, time for lunch. Verse 10, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, while they were down there cooking in the kitchen, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creepy things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him. Now, this was the voice of God to him, speaking to his conscience. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And this is perhaps months, several months perhaps, maybe years after the Lord had been risen from the dead, from the day when uh, Peter, the great apostle and preacher of the gospel, we see here, is still living, even though that many years perhaps have transpired since the Lord had risen from the grave and ascended, this great apostle, this great preacher of the gospel, he will still under, as far as his conscience was concerned, living under that dietary law. You can see the influence it had on him. Verse 15. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, That call not thou common or unclean. And this was done three times. Not once, not twice, three times. You see, Peter had to be persuaded of the Lord that nothing was common or unclean. I think that helps us to understand the weight of that dietary law that they had lived under. All right, back to our text in Romans 14, verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with your meat... Now, remember, Paul is writing this to establish peace, harmony, and fellowship around the gospel. But if thy brother be grieved with your meat, now walkest thou not charitably, without love in your heart. Would you destroy that peace and fellowship around the gospel, just to prove your point? Beloved, that's not the right attitude we're to have. You see, if you know that your meat or your drink is offensive to another believer, leave it off. And it it could be a range of things, really. And so, beloved, don't offend your brother. Don't destroy that peace and fellowship that you have with him around the gospel. Destroy not him with thy meat. Why? Because he belongs to Christ. He's someone for whom Christ died. He's someone for whom the Lord Jesus Christ has died, chosen in the covenant of grace, redeemed by His blood, called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, would you beat up on Him? If you beat up on Him, you know what you're attacking? Or more particularly, do you know who you're attacking? You're attacking the Lord. Because what you do to another believer, beloved, is what you do unto the Lord. That's what He says in Matthew 25, and we're going to look at that in a moment. Look at verse 16. And so, beloved, let not then your good be evil spoken of. Let not your liberty, your freedom, your being set free from the bondage of the law be evil spoken of. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, but don't let your good, your liberty, Your freedom in Christ becomes something that's evil spoken of. And so let it not be perceived by the weaker brother as being evil. If it offends him, just leave it off, beloved. Just leave it off. You don't have to make your point. You can accommodate the weaker brother without compromising the gospel. You see, it would not be worth dividing over. Or division among the Lord's people, just to make a point. Now, the Gentiles had the same problem with certain meats that were offered unto idols. If you would, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, chapter 8. And so we see the apostle is teaching the same lesson, but this time not so much as towards Jewish believers, but among Gentile believers. You know, many of those Gentiles there in Corinth and and Athens, they were raised under idolatry, and they were many meat offerings that were offered unto idols. And that meat was taken, and the, that was left over, was sold in what we would call the surplus market. And so you could get it at a, a bargain price. Well, those who didn't have much money, they would go to those... Uh, surplus markets, and they would buy that meat that would be offered unto an idol, and they would eat it, knowing it did not defile their conscience. But now some of those people had a problem with that, the, the weaker brother. And this is what we read in First Corinthians chapter 8, beginning there in verse 7. The apostle writes here, "...howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge..." For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we worse. As far as salvation, as far as sanctification, as far as our justification is concerned, it doesn't matter. Verse 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You see, we're right back to the same subject that uh, the Apostle Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 14. Now, we're not talking about Jews here under the dietary law, but the Gentiles who were offended by those who ate meat, meats that were offered unto idols. Verse 10. If any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the, the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. If there is a weaker brother who doesn't have the liberty you enjoy, has still got grave clothes on them, You know, don't don't make it an issue. Just leave it off. Beloved, be a building block instead of a stumbling block. All right, let's go back to our text. Romans 14, <clears throat> verse 17. And notice what the apostle writes here, indeed, what God's word sets forth. For the kingdom of God is not now. This is, this is key in this, in, in this verse, on this subject. He's speaking about here, again, verse 17, Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not... Now, it's good to know what something is not. Does any scripture come to mind, beloved? Beloved? not by works of righteousness which we have done. And then, and this was read to us just a moment ago, God saved us and called us not according to our works. You see, it's a good thing to know what something is not, right? So the kingdom of God, and this is synonymous with salvation, that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation is not meat and drink, And days. Beloved, your salvation has nothing to do with your diet or observing days, but the kingdom of God has to do with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, those three key things the kingdom of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation that is accomplished by Christ, given totally by the Lord Jesus Christ, has nothing whatsoever to do with circumcision. Now, does it? Those old Jews insisted upon the Gentile believer being circumcised. Those Judaizers even went so far as to say, and and this is recorded for us in Acts chapter 15, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. Remember, they came together after much disputing, and they had that first Bible conference, and Peter stood up and said, in effect, let me tell you what the Lord has taught me how that salvation is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. He went on to say, We Jews shall be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as God saved those Gentiles. How did God save the Gentiles? Not by meat and drink. Not by, not by circumcision. Rather, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that makes so much sense, does it not? Not? So salvation has nothing to do with eating and drinking, nothing to do with circumcision, nothing to do with observing certain days, nothing to do with your morality, clean living, observing this day or not. What in the world does that have to do with salvation and forgiveness of sins? Nothing whatsoever. You see, beloved, we're justified by His grace. Righteousness is... That is established by the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord? He is our righteousness, beloved. Upon that peace that the Lord Jesus Christ hath made for us with his own precious blood, and the joy that we have before God in Christ, these three essential things always go together. Notice, righteousness, peace, and joy. And where you find one, you find the other. They are always found together. Righteousness, peace, and joy. They're like faith, hope, and love. These three, they, they always go together. Where you find faith, you find hope and love. Where you find love, you have hope and faith. They, they go together. Now let's take a closer look at those three things. Righteousness. Righteousness. Now we're we're talking about how sinners are made righteous before God. Now if you ask the mainstream religious person in in our day, how is it that a sinner is made righteous before God? And they'll um they'll give you this answer. They'll tell you it's this, that, and the other thing. They'll say, you've got to clean up your life, you've got to join the church, you've got to be baptized, you've got to attend so many meetings, you've got to have so many good works, you've got to do all these things. You've got to work at it, and work at it, and work at it. And eventually God says, that's enough. Now you're righteous, now you measure up. I mean, that's what passes for religion today, is it not? That's nothing but works religion. How is the sinner made righteous before God? Well, it has nothing to do with you, beloved. And you think about that. It has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with you. And we've seen this all the way through our study. If you would, turn with me back to Romans chapter 1. And this is is key. In the book of Romans, the whole study we've been looking at is is how a sinner is justified. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, there in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and, and verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also describeth, this is verse 6, Romans 4, verse 6, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Pastor, did I just hear that right? Is that true? That God imputes righteousness without works? Blessed is the sinner unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Beloved, that's what this book teaches. Righteousness without works. That's why Paul says in Philippians, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Beloved, Christ is our righteousness. He's made to us perfect, spotless righteousness, acceptable to the Father. He is the Lord, our righteousness, and so therefore we're not going about to establish a righteousness of our own. Remember Romans 10, there in the first verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, or rather verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Beloved, we are righteous in Christ, and the fruit of that is peace. The fruit of that righteousness being established by Christ, by His blood, His righteousness, justifying us in Christ, the fruit of that is what? Peace. (laughs) Perfect peace. Uh, Turn with me to Isaiah. I don't have this in my notes, but uh, it's always exciting when you try and find a verse. You haven't looked up in a while, but I think I'll find it. It's such a comforting verse And I believe in the English, when the translators were rendering it into English, this word peace is repeated two times. It's such good peace that the Lord accomplishes for his people. And there in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, God's word sets forth, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in Thee, And, beloved, that's trusting his word. Beloved, we are complete in Christ, lacking absolutely nothing, a full and complete pardon of all of our sins, and a perfect righteousness acceptable to God. And so, beloved, by God's undeserved grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, we have peace, perfect peace, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how are sinners reconciled unto God? How is peace made? God is holy and just and righteous and demands satisfaction. We can't give it. We cannot satisfy His law and justice. We cannot make peace with God. You know, you hear people say, well, make peace with God. Well, that's just the talk of a fool who's in darkness because we don't make peace with a holy God. For it was the Lord Jesus Christ who made peace for us with his own precious blood. Righteousness in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's another portion in Isaiah, and I believe I'll I'll find this. And I love this portion. It's in Isaiah chapter 42. And again, this is speaking about the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he has accomplished our warfare, beloved. Now in Isaiah chapter 42, and there in verse 21, and here we we hear and see the person and finished saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ Isaiah 42, verse 21, The Lord is well pleased for His righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. And we read the fulfillment of that in Romans 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Righteousness in Christ, beloved, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing we have, we have righteousness established. The fruit of that is peace. And then we have joy. Beloved, we have joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. Look across the page, if you would, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. The apostle writes there, indeed God's word sets forth, now the God of all hope, now the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. What a blessed thing it is to have righteousness, peace, and joy in Christ. And, beloved, there is no true righteousness established, no true peace given, no true joy realized apart from our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read there, In Romans 14, verse 17, Beloved, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen.